May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So last weekend, as I flipped, like many of you did, I'm sure, through newspaper images of the devastation coming out of Israel, one understated caption stuck with me. It was of a photo that showed a multi-story building in the city of Sterot that looked like it had come down in an earthquake, with a wall and a half still standing and three-quarters of the floor space collapsed so you could see inside the office equipment still left on a couple of the levels. And the caption said something like, Israeli soldiers stand outside the police station in Sterot, damaged during fighting on Sunday. It was that word damaged that stuck with me, damaged to say the least, but not yet totally destroyed. And soon enough, of course, images of devastation were coming from outside Israel too, as Israeli airstrikes and shells began flattening buildings across the Gaza Strip, and the familiar cycle of violence and retaliation began again. This week, through one of those odd coincidences of timing, Isaiah's words assigned in the reading for this Sunday have become terrible reality once again on both sides of that border fence. You have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. And then on Monday, I heard the awful news, and on Tuesday shared with many of you the awful news of Evie Scoville's death, which was sudden and unexpected and deeply, deeply sad. And it felt, to me at least, like one of the central buildings in our community had collapsed, because someone who'd been a source of comfort and strength and shelter to so many people for so long was suddenly gone. One way or another, many of us have taken some damage this week. And if by some chance you don't have family or friends in Israel or Palestine, or if you didn't know Evie or didn't know her well, and your week has been perfectly fine, then for the purposes of this sermon, I'd invite you to consider a time when it was not, when you were going through some grief or pain, when the world felt like it was collapsing around you. Because the question that I want to think about today in the sermon isn't a question about the intricacies of Israeli history or Palestinian rights, about how to process an unexpected death or any given crisis in any of our lives. What I want to ask is this. We sing every week as I stand at the altar in praise of a God of power and might. So what is God's mighty, powerful response in the midst of all of this? In that first reading today, the prophet Isaiah speaks from a place of conflict and grief that's very familiar to our world today. Isaiah is this prophet of exile and return, a prophet who not only predicts the judgment and destruction of his people and his city, but comforts them after they go into exile with the hope of some future restoration. At the point in the story that surrounds this prophecy, the city hasn't fallen yet, but disaster is looming. And Isaiah already looks forward in chapters 24 and 25 to what he calls the day of the Lord, to some future day on which God will finally act to save the people, some day when God will come in and clean up this whole mess. 
Isaiah's description of that day in the words we heard this morning have become a central part of our Christian understanding of our future hope. It's a vision that's at the heart of one answer to the question, what's God going to do in response to all of this? Isaiah returns to that theme of the day of the Lord, the hoped-for future day. God will gather us on the holy mountain, Isaiah says. God will gather all the peoples of the world, and we will feast on rich food and well-aged wines. But this heavenly feast is not itself the main event. The feast is a celebration of God's greatest act. For on this mountain, Isaiah says, God will destroy the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. It turns out that this is God's mighty response to the violence and injustice of this world. Not the destruction of the enemies of the chosen people of God, but the destruction of the greatest enemy of us all, the destruction of death itself. This is God's answer to the grief and the pain of this life, not to make it make sense, not to explain it away, but to wipe away the tears from our eyes. This is what our Christian hope is, not a naive optimism that says that things will work out all right, that good things happen to good people in this life, but the conviction that even though things don't always work out all right, even though some very bad things happen to some very good people, a day is surely coming when God will set things right. Like so many things in Christian life and Christian theology, this is both now, already, and not quite yet. It's already begun, but it's not yet complete. God has already defeated death, but the fruits of that victory are still to be won. Because on the mountain where Jesus was crucified, God took on death. On the day when Jesus shrugged off his burial clothes, God cast off that shroud that's over all people. When Jesus walked out of the tomb where death sought to swallow him up, God swallowed death up instead. And when we finally one day see God face to face, our faces will be full of a lifetime of tears, and God will wipe away the tears from our eyes. And the resurrection that began with Jesus will be made complete in us. But until that day comes, here we are, damaged but not destroyed, one way or another in life, trying to live in the light of the resurrection, trying to live, in other words, as though the things that I just said were true. The promise of the coming day of the Lord, after all, isn't just a pleasant dream about the future. It should change something about how we live in the present. If all peoples are going to feast together one day, after all, that means all peoples. It means there are no enemies in heaven, only dinner companions. It means that no one is too far away or too different from you for you to care about in this world, because you might be seated to that next to them in the next one. It means, frustratingly enough, that the people you can't stand being around in this world are going to spend eternity with you in the next one and you might want to start figuring out how to deal with that. 
And if God is going to wipe away the tears from our eyes, if God is going to destroy death, then that changes something about our grief. It doesn't take away the pain and the sadness that we feel in the face of loss, because the people who we loved are still gone, and we're still sad, even if we'll one day meet them again. But the people we've loved and lost become to us a little more like the Apostle Paul when he's writing to that church in Philippi, writing to them on the assumption that he'll see them again and that he'll know what they've been doing in the meantime. Their memories can still speak to us as Paul writes to that church in very similar words. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Their memories become a blessing to us because they inspire us to be the people they would have us be. And we know that they will one day see us as we have become. I've been thinking a lot, of course, about Evie this week and all the memories that I have of her from the few years that I spent here with her. From my first interview with the search committee she co-chaired and that called me, to the last time that I bumped into her walking down Main Street with Santana. If I had to say one thing, I think I would say that Evie was defined by love. She lived the life that Paul describes here. She rejoiced always, fighting hard for joy in times that were sometimes far from joyful. She let her gentleness be known to everyone with a Love that could be fierce when she was protecting the people she loved, but was never cruel. She was and she is an inspiration to me as a parent, as a human being, and as a priest. Her soul rests now in the hands of a loving God, and many of us feel her absence and the absence of many more people whom we have loved and lost, and it hurts but we will one day see her again and see them all again. And they will see us as we are and we will see them as they truly are. And God will wipe away the tears from our eyes. And we will say on that day, this is our God for whom we have waited. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in God's salvation. Amen.